Exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, the Irity Mobile Shag. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the victoriously returned Rob Kelly. How you doing, buddy? Were you hosting a whole other show while you were away? Because I was doing our regular show. Was there was well, there a different show that you were doing? I meant you're not victoriously returning to this show. I meant more to the comic book we're going to talk about today. Oh, I see. Okay. Yes. Yes. yes a little yes. bit of Return of the King, if you will. <laughs> You like that? You like that? They should have put that on the cover. That's what they should have called that. Anyway, folks, it is our monthly review episode where we are going to talk about the latest issue of Aquaman. And boy, are we glad to talk about this comic. And we're going to talk about a classic issue of The Fury of Firestorm, The Nuclear Man. But before we do that, Mr. Kelly, I went shopping the other day. Do you know what I bought? Uh, Your uh, Donald Trump 16 t-shirt? I already own six of those. Are you okay. kidding? Make America great again. <laughs> That's right. Um, I can't even keep a straight face. Never mind. I had stories <laughs> to tell, but I won't. Because <laughs> I promise this show won't get political. Anyway, I was in the store, and I don't buy a lot of action figures anymore, but I caved. Hanging there on a peg, not, not a peg warmer, mind you, but just hanging on a peg, was a Batman v Superman action figure of Aquaman. I couldn't resist. When I looked at this, I was like, holy crap. When is the last time I got to buy a live-action Aquaman action figure? Oh, never! So, uh, have you picked up one of these yet? No, and I'm not planning to. I, I'm very happy that he's on so much stuff, because it's funny, considering how tiny his role is in the movie, I mean, they have flat-out said it's a cameo. He is all over the merchandise. I mean, yep. he is... And, you know, I said this on the show a couple of months ago or whenever it was, and that it didn't bother me that he doesn't look like classic Aquaman as long as they get the character right. Mm-hmm. But over time, I found that I've been lying to myself. It does bother me <laughs> because, because, because he's so heavily merged with the other characters. Uh, right. I mean, you're, so you have Superman and basically looking like Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. And then there's, it's like, hey, here's Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. Who's this other guy? He just looks like he doesn't fit. 
with the other guys. So you know, they, I'm, 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 it just makes me sad when I see this merchandise because it just he looks. It just doesn't look like Aquaman to me, but I am happy that he is all over stuff. I mean, he's obviously they're making a big deal, so uh, you know they're maybe you know planning the for the Aquaman solo movie to be a big deal and and have his appearance in Justice League and, and whatnot. So you know, that's cool. Well, I completely disagree with you, sir. You know, I see Superman; he looks. Vaguely like Superman. I see Batman. He looks vaguely like Batman. I see, or quite a bit like Batman. I see Wonder Woman. Looks pretty much like Wonder Woman. And I see Aquaman, who looks like my Aquaman from the 1990s. He does, with the exception of his hair is brown uh, instead of blonde. But this action figure—I mean, because we've only seen, like, at least I had only seen snippets of what Aquaman was going to look like in the movie. I hadn't really seen a good shot of the costume yet. And when I picked up the action figure, I just—I almost burst out laughing in the in the aisles. I'm like, holy crap! That is the Peter David Aquaman. Like, dead on. Mm-hmm. The shoulder piece on the same arm, the strap across the chest, the, the yellow belt with the black pants and the green piping along the side. I'm like, holy crap! Other than the hook hand and the hair being brown, this is exactly what Peter David's Aquaman looks like. In fact, I have, in my possession, remember the old Total Justice action figures that came oh. out like, 95, 96? <laughs> yes, I do. It was the Aquaman with the hook hand, right? It's the same figure. I mean, it's a different mold, but if you look at this figure compared to the other one, it's just a modernization of it without the hook. It, seriously, with the, with the silver and the gauntlets and the, and the belt and, the again, the pants are really the giveaway. Black pants with green along the sides. I mean, come on. That's, that's exactly what the, the total Why do you feel the need to hurt me? I'm not. I'm happy. The Peter David Aquaman. By going on and on. Ugh. The Peter David Aquaman is a big deal to me, okay? I know you don't like it, but it meant a lot to me back then. It was also the first successful Aquaman series in like 30 years at the time, 20 years, no, 30 years. So I, I, I think we should be celebrating the Peter David Aquaman series. And I still want to talk about it. And I know you don't. We're going to have the spinoff called the Aquaman and Aquaman podcast. <laughs> the, water and water, the Water and Hook podcast. Anyway, so we, we bought this Aquaman, right? Me and my daughter. Out of the blue, she sees me with the Aquaman, right? And she goes, Daddy, you're getting Aquaman. I want Wonder Woman. And I was like, whoa, that's awesome. So she just had a birthday. So we bought her like the deluxe Wonder Woman action figure for Batman v Superman. She's very excited about it. She's actually like, Daddy, I want to get put my Wonder Woman in your office with your toys. So she very wants nice. it in here with my stuff. And uh, I'm... It's amazing. You know, Wonder Woman's part, I don't know how big it's going to be in the movie, but it's clearly affecting my daughter in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And that thrills me. So, the problem is, I don't think she can see the movie. She's only 10. <laughs> mm. So, I'm not sure. Uh, definitely not the R rated version that's going to come out on. Oh, God. Don't even. <laughs> okay, no, I'm going to put it out there. Uh, folks, if you don't know, they are releasing an R rated version of the DVD. That's not official. Right? Oh, really? I thought it was. Warner Brothers has not said that. All right. Well,. There's a lot of. They haven't refuted it, but they haven't said. There's a lot of argument online about this. There are people out there who are saying that this is just an immediate gut reaction to Marvel's Deadpool with an R rating, and Warner Brothers trying to clean up on that. And there's other people arguing, no, 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 no. Warner Brothers has been planning this all along, and people are just being mean. Personally, I don't feel like there should be a Superman movie my kids can't watch. No, it's it's. and everyone's, everyone's counter-argument to that is there is a Superman movie your kids can watch, the PG-13 version. I know that, but it just doesn't sit well with me. A Batman movie? A little different. He's darker. Superman movie that the kids can't watch? Bothers me. Rage amongst yourselves, folks. 
because I'm sure you're ready to. All right. We should talk about some comics that we love, shouldn't we? Yeah, we'll be getting to the movie soon enough. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And the Fire and Water Podcast Network is going to come in handy there, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Okay. You know what? we got to do our in-stock trades. Gosh, Rob, you're just slowing us down with all this other jibber-jabber. Oh, God. I enjoyed the show so much more last week. <laughs> Folks, uh, this episode of the Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What you got, Rob? Uh, one of my favorite artists is Michael Cho. Uh, he is He was on the short list of artists that I was going to cover for that uh, the favorite artist episode that we did with Zum, uh, he is currently doing all those alternate covers for Marvel, I think, for this month. Like, he's really kind of broken big recently. He's a super talented artist. He's, he's kind of got like a Darwin Cookie style. Darwin Cookie, that's funny to say. A Darwin Cookie. <laughs> <laughs> Darwin Cookies and Cream style? Darwin Cookie Monster. Uh, uh, he has this sort of cartoony, but but not style. Uh, he uses uh, very monochromatic colors for stuff. I think it's just beautiful. I've been a fan of his for, for quite a long time. And um, he has a book on uh, in stock trades, and it's called Shoplifter. And it's a tiny little book. It's only about 90 pages. And it's a very simple story of a young woman named Corina. She works at an advertising agency, and she's sort of going through a – it's not a midlife crisis. It's an early life crisis. She wants to be a writer, and she's worried that the path that she's on is going to lead to just sort of being unhappy. I'm probably making the book sound more of a downer than it is, but it's just like a little slice of life beautifully rendered by Michael Cho. It's a hardcover. Uh, I bought it, and I read it, and I loved it. I thought it was, it was great. It was everything I sort of wanted it to be, and, and I never get tired of looking at Michael Cho's work. I think it's it's just uh, startling. Uh, the normal price is $19.95. In stock, trade, in stock trades price is only $14.96. That's 25% off. It's a really wonderful little book, and uh, I, it's really good for anybody, especially fans of just the graphic form. No superheroes, no flying around, just a person with uh, going through their life. So it's, it's a great book. Michael Cho, Shoplifter. Cool. Sounds very interesting. Yep. It truly does. Uh, I picked something, also nothing to do with what we're covering this week, but just something that I've enjoyed. It's a Doctor Who trade paperback from the current people folks. Uh, people folks? The people folks. <laughs> good old people folks. The people folks. Titan. Titan Comics are the ones who have been publishing the Doctor Who comics, and they are doing an exceptional job. They got the license about, I don't know, a year and a half ago, and uh, there was a lot of hubbub because they kind of they took the license. Well, you know, I don't need to go on that. We weren't, <laughs> sure, we, we weren't sure how it was going to turn out. Well, it turns out Titan Comics has produced some wonderful Doctor Who comics, and the one I wanted to talk about is specifically Doctor Who, The Four Doctors hardcover. This is an awesome crossover in the tradition of Doctor Who, where you get multiple Doctors in, in one story. This one teams up the 10th Doctor, David Tennant, 11th Doctor, Matt Smith, and 12th Doctor, Peter Capaldi, and a mystery Doctor. You'll have to read the story to find out who, folks. And uh, it's a really fun story. They really riff off each other quite well. The three, the banter between the three of them is hilarious. It's written by Paul Cornell, who's actually written several episodes of the series, He's written um, several novels. He's a fantastic guy. I got to meet him at Gallifrey One. Very super nice guy. Art by Neil Edwards, who does a really nice job capturing their imagery. And it's 128 pages. Again, this is a full color. It's a, it's a hardcover. Normally retails for $19.99, but you can get it in stock trades right now for $14.99. That's 25% off, and it is well worth it. If you love Doctor Who even a little bit, you should pick it up. Folks, for this and all your other trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. 
Uh, we also have another sponsor to thank uh, for uh, being part of the Fire and Water podcast, and that is The Only Living Boy. Get ready for high adventure with the new children's adventure series, The Only Living Boy. Harvey Award winners David Gallagher and Steve Ellis critically acclaimed web series to print is now a riveting graphic novel exclusively from paper cuts. When Eric runs away from home, he finds himself lost without his memory on a patchwork planet under a broken moon. He may be the only living boy, but he's not alone. The world is filled with dangerous creatures fighting to decide who is the hunter and who is the hunted. He'll need help from mermaid warrior Morgan and Thea, an insect princess, to escape the foes pitted against him by the dreaded Lord Balakar and the fiendish Doctor Once. Can Eric defeat their evil plans and find his way home? Mental Floss calls the only living boy an all-ages adventure book inspired by pulp serials, Saturday morning cartoons, Jack Kirby, and even the music of Paul Simon. The Only Living Boy, Volume 1, Prisoner of the Patrick Planet, is on sale in bookstores everywhere on March 8th, right around the corner. Learn more at olbcomic.com, and we thank them for their support. It's a lot of fun, folks. I'm, I can't wait for you guys to read this. We, you know, we've, we've been talking about it for a few weeks now, but as Rob mentioned, literally, it's out. When you hear this, it'll be out in the next day or two. So definitely hit your bookstores. If you can't find it on March 8th, ask your stores to order it. Uh, fantastic book. Well worth your time. I think you're going to love it. Yeah, Actually, I know you're going to love it. All right, we thank them for their support. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Rob, it is time to talk about... First issue special, number nine, Creeper. Wait, no, I'm kidding. Oh, I thought it was a green team. Damn it, I read the wrong comic. (laughs) That's number two. Uh, No, yeah, well, of course, we're going to talk about Aquaman. After uh, me taking the list a couple of months off, we are back uh, with a whole new creative team uh, for a couple of months at least. Uh, The writer writer of this issue is Dan Abnett. The uh, penciler is uh, Vincente Cifuentes. Say that five times fast. Uh, the inker is John Dell, among others, and we've got a bunch of – there's a colorist and some other people, but, you know, let's just move on. The uh, story this, – this month is also the Neil Adams alternate uh, variant covers. So this issue came with uh, Black Manta and Aquaman strapped to a playing card, which is a riff on his Batman number 251 cover, the Joker's five-way revenge. So, uh, it, But what card's he on? He's on the king. Well, he's on the king, yes. He's on the king. Yeah, right. Yes. I was just going to mention the ad that slipped right in here, too. I mean, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I'm just saying, if you read the digital version, <laughs> as you should, which are nice, you get, you get the nice cover, uh, and then when you flip to the next page, there's a giant ad for Legends of Tomorrow, Firestorm. It's just perfect. It goes Aquaman to Firestorm. It's like someone knew about the Firewater podcast and put this together just for us. Yeah, it's, it's an anthology book. We talk about it. We like anthology books. I'm probably going to have to buy this because they bitch about that they never do anthology titles, so I should buy one when they do it. It, it's going to be expensive. I'm going to warn you. You're going to get sticker shock when you see yeah, the price. Yeah, 80 go, pages. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, it's 7.99. But Whoa. but hold on. It's four stories. Each story is a full comic length of 20 pages, right? So really, you're paying only $1.99 a story. Right. That's and you're, great. And you're getting great. stuff by Jerry Conway and Len Wein and Keith Giffen. Uh, you know, I mean, there's really fun people involved. Aaron Lopresti. It, it's it's going to be worth it. So anyway, the Legends of Tomorrow, yeah. So this is a this issue uh, is a very sort of easy to recap because not a lot happens. I don't mean that as a criticism, but just not a whole lot of stuff happens. It opens up back in Amnesty Bay, yay, uh, and uh, Aquaman and Mira are just sort of hanging out at night. Mira talks about this. Uh, there's a song playing, and uh, they're talking about that it was uh, Aquaman's mother's favorite song, and it's a little bit corny, but he loves it because it reminds him of Atlantis, whatever. So they're kind of all snuggly. It's very sweet. Salty is there. 
which is fantastic. The return of Salty. There's a huge snuggling scene with Salty, too. Yes. Like Aquaman's just all love and all over. Yes, yes. Because we love Salty. So anyway, um, <laughs> their pal shows up, the Officer Watson, uh, the, the cop that we've seen in the previous issues. She shows up and says hi to Salty. And she mentions that they're going to have in town a sea festival, which is sort of an annual thing. Mira is a little skeptical. What's the sea festival? We'll find out in a moment. Uh, we then cut across over to Albuquerque, and there is some guy. I guess he's a he's a, a he's not a prisoner, but he's under arrest or something because somebody comes. This guy comes in and he says, uh, "Do you want do you want some uh, water?" And the guy says, "Don't you have any coffee?" And he says, "The hot plate's broken. Make do with water." So um, the guy the guy says, "I want a lawyer." So clearly, you know, this guy's a cop. The other guy's a cop. So he's waiting for this cop to come back, and all of a sudden, some nasty hand comes out of the water. And strangles him to death. And that, he should have took a left turn at Albuquerque. There you go. And that's the whole interlude. So then we get back to Amnesty Bay, and that's the title page rising to the surface. And this is it. It's basically just sort of one of these town festivals that they have. Uh, Tula is there, as along with Merc, everyone's favorite character, Merc. <laughs> and they are wandering around the town and just sort of getting to know everything. There's another. <laughs> I just noticed, did you notice Merc has a hook on his shirt? Yes, he does. I didn't yeah. notice that. He's got, like, the hook. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, there's another <laughs> There's another interval over in Shreveport where a guy is attacked by a creature that comes out of the water that's being sprinkled on his lawn. So, And this is going to happen a couple times through the issue. So the rest of the story is basically Aquaman and Mira just wandering around, talking, trying to have a little bit of fun. Mira's a little dubious. At one point she says, this isn't dignified. And Aquaman says, no, it's fun. And it's them getting their, it's their heads through one of those portraits where you take the picture and it, it makes Aquaman look like a sailor and mirrors a mermaid. It's it's all it's, again, it's all in good fun. So Aquaman talks about that his uh, what he wants to do is establish what he calls an Atlantean mission on dry land, which he thinks will help with the relations between the two worlds. Mira again is skeptical. Aquaman talks about and says he wants her to lead it, and she again she's dubious. They talk back and forth. Finally. Uh, we, call, we come back after another interlude where someone gets killed by the crazy water creature. It's later on at night. Aquaman and Salty are hanging out. Mira is off in another room. Then she shows herself, and she is in a full-on Aquaman costume. And it ends with her saying, La, la, ta-da, well, stop opening, and clo- stop opening and closing your mouth like a fish. What do you think? And yeah, yeah, and then she's in the classic Aquaman uniform, as we've seen in the previous issues. And that's the end of the story. It says, next, dead water. So, my thoughts are very brief on this. Again, not much happens. That's okay. It's just a conversation. Clearly, Dan Abnett's goal was, as put to him by DC, was simply right the ship. You know, mm-hmm. bail out the water, patch the holes. And put the boat, you know, in a, in a better position and get it ready for rebirth, which is in a couple of months. And that's what he did here. Every I don't know anybody that didn't like this issue, and I have to think a lot of it is because the previous run was so uh, not popular, let's say. But it, it's not just that. It, it feels like a return to some of the stories Jeff Johns told just without the big action scene. Yeah, I don't mean it as a knock. I don't mean it as like, oh, it's that's the reason. I just think that the, the near universal praise, in fact, not near, entire universal praise 
that this issue got, I think, stems from the fact that people were just so happy to have Aquaman back. It's them being, it's them having fun, it's them getting along, and they're not, you know, they didn't forget the whole Thule storyline. Thule is mentioned. Right, I was going to mention. It's not a reboot. It's just like, okay, that part happened, and let's forget it, and let's move on. And that's what Dan, that was clearly meant to do. He's going to be on the book for a couple of months until Rebirth, uh, and then the new creative team takes over. Uh, I'm not sure if we're supposed to like. I don't know. I, I never know. I'm not keeping up with the news about like what's official and what's not about like whether they've announced who's taking over. We know who's taking over, but I don't know if DC has announced that or something. But anyway, it ought to be very exciting. But so for the next couple of months, we'll just enjoy Dan Abnett uh, writing some fun Aquaman stories of Aquaman and Mira getting along. And, and he's he's captured their spirit really well. He he set up the or he brought us back to all the trappings that we love, like you said, Amnesty Bay, the dog, the cop. Um, and he brought along the stuff from the other eras. You know, Garth is an invention of the Thule era, right? Whereas Tula is an inv- and Merc are an invention of the Jeff Johns and Jeff Barker eras. So he, he's really melding all the different eras together. Like you said, he's not ignoring what happened. There's one piece as a story that you didn't mention that I think Biz bears mentioning is uh, Aquaman as he talks about setting up the mission. He actually ta- actually talks about letting uh, Tula rule Atlantis in his place as a regent. Um, oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I because she's of yeah. royal blood. She's right. actually the sister of, of Orm. So that would actually be, you know, okay for her to be in charge of the place. Which is, and, and he actually has to tell um, Mara it, it's a better choice than Mara because Mara's, you know, of the other dimension. And it extings a little, but she accepts that. So I loved the heck out of this. There was funny bits, the whole thing where the Atlanteans are eating the cotton candy and they think it's the greatest thing they've ever had. They want more of it. You know, um, Tula's playing beach volleyball. It, it's just a lot of fun. It all works, and I didn't, I didn't miss for one second that there was no action. The interludes make you wonder what the heck's going on, how this creature can come out of just a tiny little styrofoam cup of water. So I'm interested to see how that develops. Um, Dan Abnett is a phenomenal writer. He actually he's written some Doctor Who novels that I've read that are exceptional. So I have complete faith in him. On top of the stuff he did with you know Guardians of the Galaxy and all the other wonderful right, stuff. Right, right, right. I'm very curious to see where this is going with Mera in the Aquaman costume. You know who she actually looks like? She looks like, um, was it Aqua Woman? Was that her name? The blonde in the Silver Age. It was one of those one-off, like, I don't know if it was Ramona Frayden. Yeah, it was the Ramona Frayden story, yeah, in the back of Adventure Comics. Yep. And it, was, it, was, it wasn't Aqua Girl, it was Aqua Woman, right? Right. And she basically was dressed in a female version of Aquaman's costume. And that's sort of what this looks like. Um, by the way, did I mention she's smoking hot in this? Did, did I say that? I think, I, was, I think it was presumed. Uh, I, I'm hoping that they don't get rid of the mirror costume. I like her being distinct from Aquaman. I don't want her just being looking like the sidekick uh, character, but I, at the same time, if like this is her official royal garb for when she's doing you know mission stuff, Atlantean mission stuff, that's fine. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. We talked about the, them not ignoring the Thule stuff. You know, one thing we haven't mentioned is Aquaman's look. I wonder what his costume's going to be. Because he has got the, the, the sideburns and the hair from the Thule story. That's not gone yet. He's, and he's got the little whatever necklace, the piece of rope necklace that he wore too. He looks like he, the, he did in the Thule story. So, and we don't see him in costume. So for all we know, he may still put on that Thule costume. He's, on the classic uni- he's in the classic uniform on the cover. Yeah, but... Although um, that isn't necessarily meant to mean anything necessarily. Yeah, I'm going to the cover now, trying to get there. Uh, the one of him on the one of him on the beach. I mean, I he's in the classic. Di- digital takes a while. It's yeah, I can understand that. Well, I'm trying flip. to fill the space while you're flipping okay. pages. 
Eh, see, that's just a representation of Aquaman and Mera. Right. I, I do like that, though. It, it sort of sh- – I love the cover, though, because it sort of implies they are returning to the surface world, you know, and, and taking charge back at Amnesty Bay. And I, I like that cover, though. It's fun. But I think that's just more of a um, yeah, symbolic cover. Yeah, it's not that's a meaning literal. Yeah. yeah. And I thought it was interesting. At the uh, – <laughs> I don't necessarily know what this means. At, first of all, for the first half, Mera's just walk around in a towel, folks, by the way. So they had my attention. That's for sure. When they first get to the festival, though, did you see the balloons? There's a balloon. One is a fire hydrant. <laughs> like almost simply, you know, like a dog sort of thing. Uh, or maybe that's a tower. I don't know. Or is it, it the lighthouse? I don't know. Oh, that's the lighthouse. Because the other one's a, 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 a trident, like yeah, celebrating yeah. Aquaman. That's the lighthouse. I thought it was a dog fire hydrant. I was like, <laughs> they have a balloon for salty? That's what I was thinking. Yeah, anyway. they, they have a little stuffed animal. They have a little stuffed figure that kind of looks a little mirror-ish as well. Oh, yeah, they do. They do. Yeah. Well, bottom line, I keep I keep trying to keep this conversation going simply because I love this issue so much. I enjoyed it. It felt like it felt like going home to where you belong. You know, it it really did feel like a homecoming, and they did a great job of incorporating all the different elements. And I'm I'm looking forward to the Abnet run, and I hope the Rebirth run is uh, just as good. Yeah. I want to see I want to see Aquaman in Amnesty Bay. I want to see Aquaman with Mara. I want to see Salty. Uh, I want to see them getting along. You know. Yeah, I want to see them getting doing the funky nasty too. It, okay, all right. It, it'll again. I'm not sure whether they've announced who is return, who is taking over. Uh, yeah, but, that's fine. I, I'm not dwelling on that. Oh, they mentioned the marriage proposal. That's right. They do. So, did they never get married? No. Oh, because see, he, remember he proposes to her, mm-hmm. and then we jumped forward six months or a year or whatever, and he was on the run right. from the Thule story, and I just assumed they got married in the middle there. No, I think they're going to save that for a big event. Ah, okay. A big anniversary right. issue or something or something like that. That'd be fun. I hope they get married. They deserve to. Yes. I know, they, yes. I know there's sort of a anti-marriage thing in, um, in, in the comic book realm. And to be frank, after being married for 11 years, I can understand where they're coming from. Um, but uh, come on, that was funny. But uh, <laughs> I think Mara and Aquaman deserve to be married. Sort of like Buddy Baker and Ellen deserve to be married. Uh, yeah, I want to see another wedding issue. They did one in the 60s. I'd like to yep. see them do one again and then have all the heroes visit, do the big thing, and have some villain attack. It'll be fun. <laughs> yep. All right. Great issue, folks. If you haven't read it, definitely get your hands on it. You will, you will, you will be very happy. And after all of these months of slogging our way through the previous run that we had a hard time with but try to keep our spirits up, this is a return to greatness. Yeah, very. I'm, just, I'm thrilled. All right. So moving on. Uh, up next, Fury of Firestorm, The Nuclear Man, number 27. This sucker's uh, cover dated September 1984. It would have cost you uh, three shiny quarters back then. In fact, if you want to buy a pristine copy off the shelves, folks, why don't you grab Captain Jack Harkness's Vortex Manipulator and jump on back to June 7th. 1984. That's right, June 7th, 1984. Thanks to Mike, Mike's Amazing World of Comics for telling us that information. Now, Rob, this is the part of the show where I always go uh, tell you what was on the shelves back that month. So uh, I do limit myself to just five titles. So I have to sit there and wean down all these comics. And I'm like, oh, I want to talk about that one. I want to talk about that one. And just boil it down to just five comics that were on the shelves in June 1984. And those five comics are Elementals number 1 from Comico. Now, this is not the first appearance of the Elementals. This is actually the second appearance. They appeared in a Justice Machine Annual. However, it is the first issue in their ongoing series. And uh, do you know who was the plot, plotter and penciler of that series, Rob? Bill Willingham. That's right. He, uh, he who went on to enormous fame with Fables, 
started off as an artist and a plotter on Elementals, folks. Did I used you to buy there? that book. Yeah, did you really? Okay. Mm-hmm. You know what else you used to draw before that, right, for comics? Uh, I do, well, I'm blanking. What is it? You used to draw the Dungeons & Dragons ads. Oh, I, that I didn't know. It's funny. Yeah, okay. it's great. Uh, he, he signed many of them. So. All right. So Elementals, number one. Gem, Son of Saturn, number one. Our buddy Frank's favorite comic ever. Gem, Son of Saturn, number one. I bought that comic in, with such high hopes, and uh, boy, I was disappointed. Um, one of these fantastic Marvel um, adaptations, movie adaptations. Remember, did, you ever, did you ever buy the Marvel movie adaptations? When oh, you were sure, from? sure. This is Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, number one. <laughs> oh, I know I owned this thing. I loved the Indiana Jones adaptations. I don't know how many versions of the Raiders Lost Ark adaptation I had. It must have been four or five because they did like the, the Super Magazine and all that stuff. Anyway, um, this next one is Best of DC, number 52, one of your, be- one of your glorious digests. Best of DC, number 52, Year's Best Comic Stories. I love those. I know. There's so much fun. I, I bought a bunch after you did that episode with, uh, was it Bailey you guys talked about it with? Oh, I think so. God, that was like was, yeah. four years ago at this point. It was a while ago, but I bought a bunch of those digests. I fell in love with them. So this one's got Teen Titans, Blackhawk, Amethyst, Legion, Sergeant Rock, Swamp Thing, and Batman. Such a great thing. And then finally, the last of the, my five choices that came out in June 1984, All-Star Squadron, annual number three. Mm. Why is that comic well-known, Rob? That's the whole Ian Carcool thing. Ian Carcool! The bane of my who's who existence, or one of the banes of my who's who existence. How every single JSA entry had the same paragraph about how they were kept young because of their exposure to Ian Carcool, blah, blah, blah. So, yes, All-Star Squadron, annual number three. And it's a fun comic, so, anyway. And uh, a friend of mine uh, just got that for me digitally as a, as a gag gift, so thank you. <laughs> Why is it a gag gift? Well, I mean, because we because I bash on Ian Carcool all oh, the time. Okay. It's, but all it's the... a great comic, though. It's yes, a great it absolutely story. Is. Absolutely is. All right, let's talk about Firestorm. On the cover of issue number twenty-seven, you have uh, uh, coming. I can explain this. On the cover, you have Firehawk battling Silver Deer, and you've got Firehawk with her giant orange flaming wings on the left, and on the right, you've got Silver Deer, who's transformed into an enormous silver bird of prey, and you can see uh, Silverhawk's. Silverhawk. Silverhawks! You can see Silver Deer in Serpent as she's transforming into this giant bird of prey. So really it's just this giant bird versus bird battle of silver and, and orange and it's really dynamic and cool looking. It's got a giant birds of prey in the front and in the background Firestorm's just standing startled on a staircase going oh! looking at all of this. Uh, cover is drawn by Raphael Cannon and Dick Giordano so you know the women are beautiful. And uh, I, I love the, the matchup of the two bird creatures here. The only, if, I, if I could change anything, I would just say there's a little too much orange on this cover. Because Firehawk's wings are uh, enormous and orange. And they also made the Firestorm logo orange. Which hmm, probably could have been reversed, maybe in yellow or something like that. But what do you think of the cover? Oh, I think it's great. I love the, uh, the color contrast. That you've got Silverhawk and white. And Silver, light, Silver Deer. Silver Deer, sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm looking at the hawk. Uh, you know, in the white, and then she's she's monochromatic. It's like it's a who's who listing. Yeah, uh, it's a color. It's a serpent, as if you were. Uh, I like I that. said that. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's birds of prey. There you go. Uh, that'll lead to something, of course, many years down the line that nobody liked. Uh, and then uh, I'm just. I'm sure this is where this is where Chuck Dixon got the idea, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I do. I like that the hero of the book is just sort of standing there watching this go on. So yep. that's a good thing. Yeah, no, I think it's really nice. All right, folks, let's get into the issue. Uh, the title of the issue is Spell Dance. And this is a Jerry Conway, Carla Conway, Paul Kupperberg, Raphael Cayenne, and Roden Rodriguez, Duncan Andrews, and Nancy Houlihan 
joint. Uh, and we'll get into some of the details of those creative folks in just a bit because you might have heard a couple of new names there. So here's my recap. Um, I don't have a 10,000-foot level idea on this one. Just going to jump right into it. We're in Washington, D.C., and we join Black Bison and Silver Deer. They're in a foreign embassy, most likely a Soviet embassy, but they don't really say it. Anyway, Silver Deer is casting an ancient and dangerous spell that's going to allow her to enslave the politicians of Washington, D.C., and while she's casting this spell, she is calling upon the god Brass. His name is Brass, the gambler spirit, the Native American gambler spirit, to aid her. As she casts the spell, she's taken aback by the magical manifestations. And look, I'm just going to call it what it is, all right? No exaggeration here, folks. Casting this spell gives her a powerful orgasm. I'm sorry. If that makes anyone uncomfortable, I'm serious. It's right there on the page. And I, Rob, I don't think you'll argue with me on this. It's, it's all in the narration boxes. <laughs> and they do seem to suggest that, yes. Yes, they do. So, Silver Deer's plan, uh, as she explains, involves a special gala that's going to be held that evening at this foreign embassy. And the ancient, this ancient magic will somehow allow her to gain control of the minds of these senators and congressmen that are going to attend the gala. Once she controls these politicians, uh, her plan is that the next day, her little puppets, these people, will go and pass a resolution returning all of the Native American lands that were stolen from them is going to return them to the Native Americans. And once the resolution is passed, Silver Deer then plans to have all these politicians commit suicide. It is a very gruesome plan, and Black Bison begins to once again doubt his involvement in this. Now, in the last issue, when he began to doubt all this, she seduced him and had sex with him on a crap table. So if I was him, I would continually doubt the plan. That'd, just be, my, that'd be my goal here. Anyway, Silver Deer then explains her deep-seated hatred for the white man by going over her origin. She explains that she was born, um, uh, born on a Cherokee Native American reservation in North Carolina. She had a twin brother who was being groomed to be the next medicine man of their tribe. And while she was being relegated to the more womanly duty, sort of traditionally, and while in their preteen years, he was bitten by a rattlesnake. And they didn't have any anti-venom on the reservation. So they took him, they rushed him to a hospital of the white man. And they were, they were refused treatment as they were Native Americans. The situation escalated and ultimately it ended with a racist police officer opening fire. And he killed both Silver Deer's father and his brother. I mean, and, and her brother. And uh, the police officer was found, of course, found innocent. And so Silver Deer committed herself to learning the ways of the powerful medicine uh, of their tribe. Her grandfather reluctantly agreed to train her, realizing that the old ways had to change, and passing the knowledge on was more important than who, what gender it went to. So Silver Deer made a promise that day that she would take back the lands from the white men that had been stolen from the Cherokee tribe. And uh, her grandfather taught her the shape-changing medicine and other great magics. So that's where, that's where she gets her powers from and her hatred for the white man. So uh, we cut away to flying over Washington, D.C. We see Firestorm and Firehawk. They're searching for Silver Deer and Black Bison. They believe they sort of tracked him down to this particular embassy. They're right. They found the right one. And while Firestorm wants to rush in, Firehawk gives the readers at home a lesson on diplomatic immunity. So Firehawk, Firehawk convinces Firestorm that the smarter approach is going to be subterfuge by sneaking into the embassy tonight as part of this big gala. Unknown to our fiery heroes, they are being observed from a surveillance van. Inside the van is one Clarissa Clemens, who is Professor Stein's evil ex-wife and also the tool of the clandestine organization, the 2000 Committee. Oh yeah, and I call her the lilac-tinted whore. Remember that for later. So 
we jump forward later that evening at the costume party at this embassy. Our heroes have infiltrated the embassy in their civilian alter egos. The gala, it's a costume party, and we're treated to some really fun, fancy dress, kind of some goofy stuff. Senator Riley, who's Firehawk's dad, is dressed as a colonial. Lorraine Riley, who is secretly Firehawk, is dressed as a 1920s flapper. Ronnie Raymond's dressed as a baseball player. And Professor Stein is dressed as a Boy Scout, including the hat. And then they, they, they kind of break away for a quick subplot check-in. The Senator Riley, uh, he's snubbed by just about everyone at the party because of the ethics investigation that's currently underway against him. The lilac-tinted whore shows herself to Professor Stein just for the purpose of unnerving him because he has some rage issues when he gets around her. Lorraine Riley runs into this sensationalist journalist who's been running stories hurting her father's reputation. The journalist then has a moment of clarity and feels very guilty for all the slanderous articles she's written. It's kind of a weird moment. We'll talk about that later. Then, with no sign of black buys in her silver deer, uh, Professor Stein's pretty much ready to call it a night. Then they notice Senator Riley's acting very strange, almost like he's drunk. But in reality, he's battling for his sanity against Silver Deer's mental manipulations. Silver Deer reveals herself, taunting the senator, and then uh, because Silver Deer's already taken mental control of everyone else at the party. Our heroes quickly leave the embassy. They shuffle the senator out with them. Uh, but once they're outside, they're confronted by Black Bison and Silver Deer. Ronnie and the professor transform into Firestorm to battle Black Bison, while Lorraine transforms into Firehawk to battle Silver Deer. And uh, the Firestorm-Black Bison battle is sort of unusual. It's, it's, it's interesting. For a Firestorm comic, there's a lot of physicality to it. There's a whole lot of just punching back and forth. That's very unusual in a Firestorm comic. It's basically a brawl. After a few blows back and forth, Firestorm does do one blast at... Um, at Black Bison, which actually knocks him to his senses, and he remembers that he's actually John Ravenhair. Meanwhile, Firehawk's battling Silver Deer. Uh, Silver Deer shape chains into a bear, a big cat, a cobra, a giant bird of prey, which then gets you sort of the imagery from the cover. And Firehawk's flames are keeping Silver Deer at bay, but it also unfortunately sets the embassy on fire. And all these mentally controlled politicos are just standing there like zombies, and they're nearly burned to death until Firestorm lassos them and drags them out of the embassy. The embassy crashes down around Silver Deer and Firehawk. Firehawk manages to escape, but there's no sign of Silver Deer, and she's presumed dead in the destruction of the embassy. We get a happy reunion, reunion between Firestorm and Firehawk, along with some smoochy, smoochy, smooch. Then we have an epilogue back at the Statue of Liberty. Remember, may remember last episode where Ronnie turned it into an inflatable punching bag. Well, he then creates a giant air pump, inflates it, uh, and then transforms it back to copper. We get a final salute to the Lady Liberty as Firestorm flies off into the dawn, just in time for Ronnie to go to school. Well, actually for Ronnie to be late to school. Next issue, wait for it, wait for it, Slipknot! <laughs> Now, we do not get a letters page this issue. Uh, we just get a pinup of Firestorm. I don't know. Did you get a chance to see the pinup? Was that? Yeah, beautiful. Gil Kane. By Gil Kane. And interestingly enough, that's actually a cover to a later issue, issue right. number 30. What did you think of the issue, Rob? Boy, a lot happens. Yes, it did. Uh, Very I, jam-packed issue. I counted the panels. There's 154 panels in this mm. comic book. That's a lot of work. Uh, Jerry and uh, our guest uh, dialoguer, Paul Coverberg really jams in a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, there are some really, you know, there are really some, some really great moments. I love, uh, I love Silver Deer laughing at, uh, at Lorette, at uh, Lorraine, where she's like, you haven't heard the last of this Silver Deer, I'll, and then Silver Deer's like, ha ha, that's true, girl, there's definitely more to come. Ha, and she has her hands up in the air, she's like super happy. I love that sort of mocking moment. It's just like a very funny little thing. Well, it, okay, I'm glad you brought that up, because in that panel, she, when Lorraine says, you haven't heard the last of uh, this Silver Deer, I'll, oh, in that panel, 
I'm trying to figure out what happened in that panel. Is it that she realizes everyone else is already under Silverdeer's control? I think so, because she... everybody else is standing there frozen. Or is she realized she's just showed her hand by revealing she knows who Silverdeer is? Oh, okay. oh you know what? Yeah. I because my, I have a question here, which is right after this scene when they go outside, for no real apparent reason, Black Bison and Silverdeer follow them outside. Hmm. There's no specific reason, other than they're getting away, there's no real reason for them to confront them and beat the crap out of them in the street unless they already know they're Firestorm and um, Firehawk. So I'm glad you brought that panel up because it's got me wondering. They, I think they must know because he turns to Firestorm right after that, well, right in front of him. Yeah. I'll go for a no prize here. Um, Clarissa Clemens is at the party, right? And we know she's there to confront them. But she does nothing other than show up and say hi to Professor Stein. That is all she does, which makes no sense. It's a throwaway thing. It's like a plot that started to develop and went nowhere. So it makes no other than, unless I no prize it and say, Clarissa Clemens, as a representative of the 2000 committee, told Black Bison and Silver Deer who Ronnie and the professor secretly were. Dan Lorraine. That works. All right. And then, then they knew that could be the case. But that's a whole lot of no prizing to get there. And I totally interrupted you. Terribly sorry. So you love the panel where Silverdeer throws her hands up. I do yeah. too. She's sexy and fun at the same time. Yeah, it's a great moment. Uh, like I said, I like these two characters. I like them together. I love Firestorm saluting Lady Liberty at the end. That's just <laughs> like it's like a weird, goofy little thing. So yeah, no, it's it was good. It's 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 it's, it's a like as I mentioned, it's really dense. I was just like, man, Jerry, really. I get I get the feeling that uh, Jerry, you know, had more story. To wrap up, then he knew what he could do. Like then he had space for, because he's like, we got to get Slipknot in here, because we got to raise sales on the book, and everybody knows Slipknot's going to raise sales. <laughs> um, but at the same time, he was also behind, which is why Paul Kupperberg is here. Well, let's let's talk about that because I didn't go into the details. Yes, so the plot is by Jerry and Carla Conway, which was Jerry's wife at the time. Paul Kupperberg is the scripter. Now you asked Paul about it, right? I did. And I asked him, I said, do you have any memory of, of doing this? And he did not. Uh, hard to believe he doesn't remember a single comic book credit that he did 30 years ago. But he said, basically, if he worked on something like that, that meant that Jerry was late. And he said, because that's basically what he was asked to do by DC when he would do the, those last-minute guest dialoguing. So that's from – his reasoning was, if I did that, is because the writer, whoever it was at the time, was late. So Jerry must have been falling behind, and they had uh, Paul do the actual dialogue. And he, Paul does the same thing in the next issue as well. Now, here's where I'm going to get a little speculative, and I'm, I'm probably getting a little bit personal, but it's nothing that's not in public record, so I, I, and I'm not going to dwell on it. But as I mentioned, this issue is plotted by Jerry and Carla Conway. Carla had, uh, was Jerry's wife. They had plotted several issues together. This is Carla's final comic book credit, as far as I know. Hmm. Um, Jerry has said in, in other interviews that around some point in his towards the end of his career at DC, so somewhere in either 84 or 85, somewhere in that range, he went through a very ugly divorce, and it, it caused him a lot of personal grief. Um, being that this is Carlos' last issue, he's running behind, Paul had to step in, uh, my speculation, and it's just mine, would be maybe this is when things were all kind of falling apart. Yeah, could be. He just had a lot going on, and yeah, yep. that makes sense. Could be. And, uh, and, and it's sad um, that, that that may be the case. But it is nice to see Paul's work here. And yeah, it is just jam-packed, this issue. You mentioned that I, I can't believe you counted the panels. That is hilarious. I actually I didn't do that. What I did was I counted panels per page, and I counted one page that had as many as 11 panels. Yeah. And there's, I mean, and I got to tell you, I don't know if you remember last month, I, I was 
I wasn't down on the art, but I said the art had, wasn't up to the incredibly high standard that the previous issues had set. This issue, the art's back to being spectacular. Uh, the first two pages alone are just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, Silver Deer is so smoking hot in those pages when she's casting the spell and Firestorm's flying around with, uh, with uh, Firehawk. There is, there is sort of one goofy panel. Flip to page three. There, there's one goofy panel where Firestorm and Firehawk are flying over the embassy and Firehawk wants to rush in and she keeps telling him, no, 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 we can't get it rush in. Ah, a little fun. Anyway, um, Firehawk says we can't go in because of diplomatic immunity. Firestorm is clearly trying to fly one way, and Firehawk is yoink, yanking him another way. It's kind of a funny panel. <laughs> yeah, his like legs it. are all his legs are all splayed in a yeah, weird it's, way. It's, it's oddly artistically drawn, but at the same time, it sort of works for sort of a yoink moment. I like that. Then, uh, I, ultimately, when it comes to so many panels, I would rather read a dense story than one of these stories where every page is a splash panel and you're done in 30 oh, seconds. Oh, yeah, sure. So I don't mind all the panels. It's it's uh, there's a lot of little bits. Like I loved um, when she's casting the spell with for Brass the Gambler, all the little magical spell spots have a face. Do you notice those? No, like, I didn't. Like look on page one, the spell behind her hand. There's like a screaming face. Uh, Brass, and then he look. Bra- oh, and then yeah. the second page, Brass looks like a serpent. Yeah. So they're really, it's really cool iconography they're doing there. I love that. The whole costume party is a blast. It gave Raphael a chance to really draw some fun costumes, which is really neat. Um, there's a funny gag uh, uh, where when the senator, Riley's going around trying to talk to people and he keeps getting snubbed, one of the senators named Senator Filibuster. It's hilarious. <laughs> and then uh, on page 12, when the reporter, when Lorraine, this scene's a little strange. When Lorraine confronts the reporter, and basically says, you know, you're ruining my dad's life with your sensational stories, sensationalist stories. The reporter has a moment of clarity. And it's like, what have I done? What kind of sleazy reporter have I become? And she just leaves. And that has just got to be Jerry or, or probably Jerry uh, statement on the, on the media at the time, you know, because he really did make the media look bad in a lot of these stories. And to, in the irony of it is that that's just 1984. Think how far the media has come sensationalist <laughs> reporting now. You know, it's just, woof. This reporter in 1984 was, was positively, you know, chased as far as reporters are nowadays. Um, what else here? Um, I love the, on page seven, the, the gunshot. Uh, it is really horrifically rendered yes. uh, quite well. And the color, I'm, I don't know if it's a color hold in the background. So I assume that's the kind of thing that maybe was Raphael Cunningham's idea and then executed by the colorist. But uh, there's like this red, you know, it's, well, it's basically like a gunshot mm-hmm. sort of symbol in the background behind the characters getting shot and all these little veins of blood sort of shooting out. It's really quite effective. Yeah, it's very upsetting because, yeah, it's one shot and it goes through the father and the boy. And, uh, and the whole origin of Silver Deer is just heartbreaking. It's just, it's, it, you see the way she was treated in the tribe because she was a girl, so she, was, she didn't have a, a place of importance as far as learning the magics of the family. And then it took the death of her father and brother to convince her grandfather to try something different. And uh, just, oh. And not to get, not to take any of this too terribly seriously, but I mean, considering that Firestorm and Firestorm villains are now in live action, the Silver Deer would work. Her backstory, really kind of quite timely. So she would work quite well as a live action character if they ever wanted to do it. Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I've always thought that as well. However, there are people that have other opinions. A um, couple things about Silver Deer. First of all, uh, th- there's a website out there called Mighty, uh, MightyGodKing.com. And the guy writes – he writes some funny bits and some of his stories are very funny. But he – one post he did a long time ago, back in 2008, that I, I – people send me links all the time. So 
all of you out there, I appreciate that you've sent me the link. I'm not knocking it. I, I appreciate that you sent it, but I've seen this website or it has been sent to me so many times. And the article is called There is Lame and Then There is Firestorm Villains. Oh. And, yeah, exactly. And the whole article is just bashing on Firestorm Villains, okay? Just basically, it, it, and they make a lot of fair points. They basically point out Firestorm's power level versus a villain like Slipknot. You know, should be no contest. You know, that's basically what they're saying. And you know what? It's fair. However, I wanted to get to the point about Silverdeer. This is what they had to say about Silverdeer. They wrote, and I quote, So, let me get this straight. Her name is Silverdeer. She's a Native American supervillainess. Her power's turning into spirit animals and super gambling? If her weakness turns out to be liquor, how wrong would that be? And, you know, they make a fair point. There is a lot of stereotypical stuff going on there with, with Silverdeer that they may have to dance carefully around if they were to make her in live action. But I agree with you. Her backstory is very tragic. It would be perfect for a television series. CW loves smoking hot women, so it would be perfect to have her character there. Transforming into spirit animals is pretty cool. It might be a little too, uh, you know, traditional or whatever you will. But I, I agree. I I'd love to see this character. I in fact, she would probably be a better fit than Black Bison. Yeah, yes, I would say so. Yeah. So, uh, and sadly, this is Silver Deer's last comic book appearance. Ever? She, well, well, she has a who's who entry. Right. But, um, but that's it. Now, for comic really? books. Huh. Yeah. She had, at least as far as I know, I mean, I, I don't remember any. I did some research. I didn't come up with any. You think she would just show up in the background somewhere, you know, like a, in a mob scene of, of characters, but apparently not. Now, she does have one more appearance that's not on a comic book. She appears in the Mayfair Games. I knew it. I knew it was going to be. I could tell that you were getting excited. I could tell it was going to be. A, it was going to be a gaming module. It's going to be an RPG. It. Yep. She appears in the Mayfair Games DC Heroes RPG model module from 1986 called An Element of Danger. That's right. Firestorm had his own module in 1986 for the DC Heroes role playing game, and she is featured in there, sort of a supporting villain character. So there you go. Did you, you play that play. module as a kid? What's that? Did you play that module as a kid? <sighs> You know, I don't remember. I doubt I did. I mean, even as a kid, I recognized that Firestorm was ridiculously overpowered. I mean, you, there's no denying that. His power level is just insane. It's ridiculous. He's, you know, any villain he should come up against, he's just, you know, like, oh, you're a bad guy. Whomp! All the air around your face just turned to concrete. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> We're done here. <laughs> That'd be great if he did that once. <laughs> I mean, you can stop anybody, you know. It's like, oh, no, someone is all made of organic. I create a giant boulder above your head and drop it on you. Plunk! Done! Anyway. Uh, so, that's it. That's the Firestorm issue. Uh, I loved it. I think it's really good. It's a, it's a lot of fun. It's there is, a, there is some questionable story bits, like I said, why they come out in the street to go after Ronnie and, and, and Lorraine. They don't make it obvious. I think you can infer enough to say that they knew it was Firestorm and Firehawk. But other than that, it does. it's a little bit like, why is this happening? You know, and that that happens in a lot in modern day comics where I'm reading stuff and I'm like, I understand that this scene moves the plot forward, but I don't really understand why it happened. To quote uh, Michael Bailey, because comics. Because comics, yeah, I guess so. All right. Well, folks, another great issue. Uh, really loved it. And you know what? This is it. Everything we have done, Rob, is building to next month. <laughs> this podcast <laughs> started in September uh, 2011. And even in that episode, we recognized the monumental importance of Fury Firestorm number 28. There is life pre-Slipknot and post-Slipknot. <laughs> yep. All right. With that, I think we're going to go to break. 
We're going to play a couple of podcast promos, and when we come back on the other side, we're going to have your listener feedback. Hey, everybody. I'm Paul Spataro. I don't know if you know me, but I'm a regular on Back to the Bins, along with my friends, Dr. Bill Robinson. Hello. And Mr. Scott Gardner. Hey, how's it going? Andy's been asking us for a promo for the show for the longest time, and Bill has been writing it for the longest time. Bill, you got that promo written yet? Uh... Okay, so, anyway, what we do is we review three comic books. We try to do it every week. Usually it's a Marvel, a DC, and a Captain Canuck book for Scott. So, tune in every week to Back to the Bins to listen to our show. You can find us at twotruefreaks.com. Do your friends tell you that you'd be perfect for cosplaying Mr. Spock all the time? Are you strangely attracted to women of other species and relationships that can't possibly work? Is your room a shrine to Sue Storm? Is the top of your skull inexplicably flat? Do you have tiny wings on your ankles that, defying all logic, somehow allow you to fly? Do you hear strange, disembodied voices talking to you about your destiny? Do you feel driven to make repetitive, pointless war on the surface world? Do you spend hours in the bath? Can you breathe underwater? Then you may identify with the subject of our new podcast, Imperious Rex, Confessions of a Serial Surface Invader. Longer than a whale, he can swim anywhere. He can breathe underwater and go flying through the air. The neighbor of Atlantis is the prince of the deep. Join us each week as we review the next installment from Prince Namor, The True Submariner's Adventures in Tales to Astonish, starting with the quest in issue 70 and moving forward through the Silver Age of Marvel Comics. Check out our blog at serialsurfaceinvaders.tumblr.com for a new show every two weeks or so and a steady stream of ridiculous aquatic content. And please, if any five or more of the above conditions apply to you, seek professional help. All right, folks, we're back from break, and now it's time for... Listener's Feedback! And we're going to be covering feedback from the last review episode, which was episode 154. Uh, The first thing I want to uh, mention is we have an iTunes review. Rob, you want to read it for us? Uh, yes, uh, we have an iTunes review from Al Gerding, who is known as Van Z. He does the All-Star Comics Review podcast. He says, these two guys could read a restaurant menu and make it sound interesting. Yin and Yang may be a good way to describe the energy, and both are master podcasters. Throw in two great heroes, and this show is a winner. This podcast is hot. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Al, very much. It's very much appreciated. I like the tip at the end there. So, folks, you may, um, you probably already know that the Fire and Water Podcast Network has been launched, and uh, all the various shows have their own feeds on iTunes now. In fact, this show, you can actually subscribe to this very show independently of everything else. It's on, it's on iTunes now, and it's called Aquaman and Firestorm, the Fire and Water Podcast. So uh, if you would, we would love for you to subscribe to this show, or you can stay on the main feed where you get everything. But what we really, really need now, <laughs> I've asked this before. I asked it before. Here we go again. <laughs> We need iTunes reviews. Now you're thinking, but Shag, I've already given you an iTunes review. Yes, you did. 
You gave us an iTunes review for the Fire and Water Podcast Network feed, the one that has all the shows. Now this new show, this new independent show, as far as iTunes is concerned, Aquaman and Firestorm, the Fire and Water Podcast, has no reviews yet because no one knew it was there. So if you'd be a deer and go out there and give a review, uh, five star if you don't mind. I'm just saying. It'd be a little nice. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Uh, For Aquaman and Firestorm, the Fire and Water Podcast, that would be totally appreciated. And guess what? You're going to get read on the show. Absolutely, yes. So, uh, consider this our moment of begging. Um, by the way, as we go through all this feedback, when you're on the social medias, if you're talking about the show, please use our hashtag. Rob, what's the hashtag? Hashtag is FW Podcasts. That's or right. Pound FW Podcasts. And that's plural because we're a network yes, now. We're bigger. Co- yes, podcasts. We're, you're, you're one less character available on Twitter, folks, so use your word sparingly. Okay. Uh, Thanks to Michael Crouch. We heard from him. He says, Shag and Rob, good news. Fury of Firestorm Classic is finally coming to the digital format. Looks like issues one through three will be available on March 10th. Now, I haven't heard this. This is, the, this is Shag now. This is the first I've heard of this. So I'm going to take a look at it on March 10th, see what is out there. It would be very, very strange if it's just issues one through three. Because that's halfway through that Killer Frost storyline with the Justice League. Um, like, remember, she takes over New York, freezes New York, and then issue four is the one with the Justice League and Red Tornado. Mm-hmm. So it'd be very strange if they only released the first three. So I'm curious. It's the first I've heard of it, Michael. I sure hope you're right, though, because Fury of Firestorm needs to be digital. All right. It says, looking forward to Firestorm number 27 discussion. Oh, wow, look at that. How oh, convenient. Uh, coming up soon to hear your thoughts on the new direction for the Aquaman series. Oh, look at that. Awfully convenient. Hope Synergy. This issue- oh, that's right. Hope this issue paid off for you, buddy. P.S. I have some pages from Firestorm number 27. Uh, so he actually has some original art from these pages displayed over his co- at his, uh, comicartfans.com. So be sure to check it out. It's Michael Crouch. Very cool. Also, we heard from our buddy Ange, who runs the Supergirl blog, Comic Box Commentary. He was also on this show just a few weeks back. He says, uh, he says I also think Silver Deer had sex on that table. As Shag points out, landing on the 7 and 11, it just screams that someone got lucky. <laughs> he also mentions, lastly, I hope that Rob is covering the Creeper issue of First Issue Special. Actually, it is a pretty lousy issue, but more Creeper is always a good thing. Yeah, it's a very weird comic, just like every other friggin' issue of that series. I will be getting to it at some point. I want to cover all the first issue specials. That is my goal of, the, of, of, of this podcast. Well, I'll just put it out there. When you cover the Creeper one, you should probably get Ange on. He's, not a lot of people are Creeper fans, um, and nowadays that word has a new meaning anyway. But um, <laughs> Ange is a huge fan of Creeper, so he seems I, like a good man. And yeah. I don't have any interest in reading a Creeper story. <laughs> Yeah, no, that would be good. Like I said, I want to do everyone, and if somebody wants to come on and do Green Team and the Outsiders, I'd be perfectly happy to do it. Uh, I also have to thank Ange for coming on the Film and Water podcast. He was on episode 30 with me discussing Alfred Hitchcock's Shadow of the Doubt, and he did a great job. So cool. uh, We heard from Chris Franklin, one of our uh, other podcasters here on the network. He says, glad to hear this uh, old Aquaman run is done, as painful as it was. Look at it this way. In a few months, it's liable to be out of any continuity completely. And even if it isn't, It'll probably just be ignored. I can't believe Shag didn't mention the Doctor Who episode where the Weeping Angels changed the Statue of Liberty to one of them. Shag is having senior moments in this episode. I think you guys are right. These are the last days of the Silver Bronze Age goofiness like this, and we're all the worse for it. I hereby nominate Lady Cop to be the mascot of the Fire and Water Network. (laughs) Done and done. She is hot. Um, In regard to the Weeping Angels transforming the Statue of Liberty... Into a weeping angel in the episode Angels Ta- uh, of Manhattan. 
Um, Chris, I will never forgive you for bringing that up. I didn't forget to mention it because it was a horrible idea. Horrible idea. So, um, And I'm still bitter at uh, Stephen Moffat for doing that. So then we heard from our buddy Jose Rivera. He says, loved the Killer Frost song by Luke Dobb. It's so catchy. While listening to it, I kept thinking of Danielle Panabaker strutting into a room to either pull off a heist or for some fun or both. I have a feeling I'm going to come back to this song every now and then because it's so good. Then he says, listening to this episode and looking at the Firestorm pose on the cover, all I can think now is Ronnie is saying, this bird's going to fly, and tries to take off his black bison looms above him. I'm guessing that's another song lyric. Because I don't know if you remember last time, folks. Rob started singing last episode. It was very strange. It's like one of those episodes where someone where the show jumps the shark and it becomes a musical out of the blue. It kinda, that's kind of what happened last month. And a lot of our feedback, actually, is all related to Rob's singing, by the way. Uh, heard from our buddy Zub Oswald. He says, sorry to hear the Aquaman comic wasn't to Rob's liking. Hey, maybe Fire and Water, I'm sorry, hey, maybe Firestorm is dancing to Rob's singing. See, told you. Uh, and he's glad to hear Firestorm Classic was so good. We heard from David Ace Gutierrez. He says, this week, Rob crowds out Crowded House. See, everyone's talking about your singing. You need to start a music podcast. You were working as a waitress in a cocktail bar when I met you. Oh my God! I picked you up, <laughs> shook you up, and turned you around, turned you into someone new. That's it. All right. Oh, I thought I was tone deaf. Oh my God! I know I'm awful. I'm, I wish I'm I was tone deaf awful. so I couldn't hear your tones. I cannot act and I cannot sing. I'm just gonna keep doing it. Anyway, Ryan Daly wrote in. He says, "What is the newish Aqua Girl named Lorena Marquez?" Rob called her Lorena Sanchez. That's because I'm a racist. And David A. <laughs> Gutierrez responded, "If her name ain't Lady Cop, Kelly doesn't give a damn." And that's Ryan Daly, by the way, also from our network, uh, Secret Origins, Power Fishnets, and Give Me Those Star Wars. So, uh, Zoom Yukinori wrote in with even further song lyrics. Just moving on. Uh, <laughs> Raymond Douglas says, I don't have I many it. Firestorm comics, but I do have this one. So, awesome, Raymond. I'm glad you had that comic because it's so much fun. Alexander M. Osias uh, wrote in, Shag was his usual self, but Rob was a bit more goofy this time around. <laughs> Lack of sleep? Enjoyable episode, folks, and I'm sorry about the Aquaman run. Hopefully, the next run is a return to glory. Well, Alexander, so far it is. Yeah, we were on a good start. Daniel Cynical Adams, uh, of course, who was the half of the com- Bad Man Jams, who composed our wonderful theme songs. He says, Zoom's awesome F&W bull design needs to be on official Fire and Water shirt. Just add stars. That would be nice. That F&W bullet with Lady Cop is pretty awesome. You know, it's funny you say that because this is worth mentioning, and we can sort of like uh, crowdsource this. We could never really do any Fire and Water merchandise that we could sell because, the, of course, our logo is used is artwork by Joe Brzezowski and Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his Jesus. name. And we're not going to, you know, we don't have the money to pay them, but we're not going to sell stuff with their artwork and not pay them. So we, we just couldn't do anything. But our new logo is our, is our personal design of the network. So, I don't know, if anybody's interested in, like, a, a Fire and Water Podcast Network t-shirt, why don't you let us know? Maybe that's something we could do because that is something we could do. We don't have to worry about, you know, using anybody's artwork uh, on the down low or anything like that. So let us know. Maybe we'd be willing to do something like that. Rob, always looking to make a buck, Kelly. That's right. I <laughs> uh, heard from our buddy Luke Giaconetti from the Earth Destruction Directive podcast and being Carter Hall. He says, Black Bison's all right, but he's no typhoon because typhoon is a storm of the soul. He loves that tagline. That was the name of an issue, and it still cracks him up. And me. 
heard from Terrell Gritton. He said, has anybody heard if Firestorm's getting a new series after Rebirth? Legends and miniseries ending, I think. He's talking about, so after the, the Legends of Tomorrow miniseries ends, uh, or actually it's an anthology book. Once Firestorm leaves the anthology book, will he get his own ongoing? It's a very good question. Um, and then Hugh DeMann actually posed a similar question after that, basically saying, hoping we get a Firestorm series in Rebirth. And uh, by the way, if you don't know who Hugh De- uh, DeMann is, he wrote all those awesome issue recaps on Comic Vine of Fury Firestorm. So, where does Firestorm stand at the end of Legends Tomorrow? We don't know. Uh, in fact, we don't even know the status of Legends Tomorrow once Rebirth starts. Because w- when the Rebirth storyline starts, all they've released so far, at least at the time of this recording, and knowing our luck, they'll release it all tomorrow, because that's how this usually works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We talk about it, and then they release it afterwards. Anyway, um, we only know the new number ones in the Rebirth story. We don't know what series get to continue. So we don't know for sure if Legends Tomorrow is even going to continue past issue four. It might just that be it. We, we really don't know. And no, there is no sign of Firestorm in Rebirth anywhere, which is a shame because it'd be nice if he was somewhere, uh, especially with the focus on him in the Legends tomorrow. But as far as I know, he is, he, he's nowhere. So my, my concern is that the Legends of Tomorrow anthology series probably didn't get a lot of pre-orders at $7.99 a pop. Comic stores probably weren't going to take a big risk on it, especially since even though it's carrying the name of the TV series, it doesn't appear to have much of a connection to the TV series other than Firestorm who on the TV show is a black kid and on this comic is a white kid. Um, so I, I could see why they'd be like, look, it doesn't match up with the TV show. It's 8 bucks. I'm not going to order many copies. So I'm afraid DC is going to look at that and just go, oh, Firestorm can't sell a comic. And that's the end of that. That's my fear. Hmm. Being a bit pessimistic today. Hmm. All right. Uh, in terms of uh, the, our, uh, what am I saying? On our... <laughs> <laughs> it's not English. You threw, I can tell me, that much. you threw me off. You threw me off. Okay. No, but these are people who shared uh, our shows on their timeline, which is either Facebook, Twitter, or Google Plus. So uh, this is uh, the list between the pages: Bill Bailey, Bill Bear, aka uh, Gotham Knight Thirteen, Brawlio Bullet, Brett Booth, Buck, yeah, Buck Rowlett. Back up. Back up. That's Brett what? Booth, the artist. Oh, like the okay. Artist for DC Comics shared our show on uh, on on Twitter. It was pretty amazing. Oh, very cool. All right. Uh, Buck, Buck Rowlett. Cash Flag, Chuck Rodriguez, Clinton Robinson, Coffee and Comics Blog, Comic Social Club, David Gallagher, from the uh, Only Living Boy, David <laughs> Gutierrez, Eli, Geekitude, Hugh DeMann, Jeremiah Parker, JSLab425, KSGSFF, which is Kyle Benning, SF, which is Kyle Benning, Kyle Petit, Luke Dobb, Manjit Dunjal, Mario, Mark Baker Wright, Moz, Matthew Thomas Cody, Omactivate, <laughs> Pietro Blaxamoff, Richard, <laughs> Richard Field, Robert Lewis, Superman, Cat Marvel, Sin, The Hammer Strikes, The Headcast Network, Trucker Talk, Tutu Freaks, Vancy, Vishnu Ganon, Warlord Worlds, and Zeb Oswald. You know, only like seven of those were Kyle Benning's alternate uh, Twitter <laughs> handles, I noticed. <laughs> then uh, we've got the list of folks that liked or plus one did or favorited it. This is a very long list, folks, but... All these people are just as important as everyone else because they listen to the show, they support the show, and this may be their only opportunity to get mentioned. So please, stick with us through the list as we go through and celebrate these people. We're going to start celebrating with Adam Stabelli. Then we're going to go on and talk about Alan Silva, Andre Golden, Andrew, Andy Graves, Andy Capellish, Anthony Durso, Aquamander, Bill Bailey, Bill Bear, Brad O'Leary, Buck Roulette, Buck Roulette, Colum Nauer, Cash Flag, uh, this one was in Japanese, so I'm going to do my best here. Chitsuda, 
uh, Chuck Rodriguez, Clint Robinson, Comic Social Club, Comics Couplets, Craig O101, Dale. <laughs> I'd like to have a 101, like a class Shag 101. That would be that would be a pretty tough class to take. Dale Russell, Daniel Cynical Adams, Darth Nihilus, David Foster, David Gallagher, David Golding Artist, David Guterres, Derek William Crab, Lost My Place. Dustin Stauffer, <laughs> Eric DeFratis. That'd be a great name for a Twitter handle, Lost My Plate. <laughs> Philippe Cruz, Philippe Queen, Gabriel M. Cox, Geektitude, Gene Hendricks, Giancarlo Nurko, Gigatron 2000, <laughs> Hugh DeMann, Jacob M. Perales, James Gerritton, Ger- Jared West, Jason Pope, Jay Bamberville, uh, Jeremiah Parker, JSlab425, <laughs> Julian D. Ack, Justin Masek, Kevin Culp, uh, King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun Podcast, Kyle Petit, Luke Dobb, Luke Jacanetti, MJ, Moss, Thomas Math- uh, I'm sorry, Matthew Thomas Cody, Michael R. Siskoid, Amactivate, Patrick Zercher, who's also an artist for DC Comics, by the way, Paul Bowler, Petty Ablonki, Pietro Blacksoft, Raymond Douglas, Richard Field, Richard Lewis, Ronnie Ling, Ruth Sutherland, Sean Emmons, Sean Brock, Skywalker. Really? Wow, Luke Skywalker. Spencer Swatson, Superhero Fashion, Superman, Cap Marvel, also Kyle Benning. Jeez, man, get a life. Swamp Thing, Sin, The Hammer Strikes, The Quantum Cast, Tim Fontaine, Trekker Talk, Wagner Oliveira, Van Z, Vance Heinston, Veliz, Vishnu Gana, Warlord Worlds, and Zeb Oswald! I like to do sort of like the, uh, you know, the Kermit the Frog at the end. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, that is going to do it for the Fire and Water podcast. Uh, we have wrapped up, and again, everything's leading to next episode. I'm just saying. <laughs> Rob, why don't you tell the folks at home where they can find us? All just in one place, firewaterpodcast.com. You want to send us an email, just go to the contact page, and couldn't be easier. And on Twitter, we're at, uh, at DuffW Podcast, and make sure to use the hashtag. That's right. Uh, if you want to find Rob or me individually, you can find me over at Firestorm Fan. You can also find me on Twitter and Facebook under the same handle. You can find uh, this guy, Rob, who I sometimes pretend is my friend, under Film and Water Pod or uh, Aquaman Shrine on Twitter. You can find him at AquamanShrine.net and, of course, on Facebook as Aquaman Shrine as well. I think that's going to do it. That's going to do it. All right, folks. Let's put a fork in this one. Until next time, fan the flame and ride the wave. Aquaman and Firestorm Fighting crime together Soak them down Or burn them up No one does it better Whenever you find trouble They'll always be there To catch them in a bubble Or even towards their hair They stand for truth and justice And see a land In air Aquaman and Firestorm They make a super pair Aquaman and Firestorm, super friends forever. Yeah. This mission may be too dangerous for you, junior members. I'm leaving you in charge of the Hall of Justice. But, but unless you feel the responsibility might be too much for you. Oh no! It'll be a siege. A snap. You can count on us. Good. Let's go. Some people get all the excitement. Look on the bright side, Ronald. Now you'll have time to catch up on your studies, like your physics test. Please, don't remind me.